Welcome to a special Invest Talk bonus program, the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour. Typically, each day, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein receive more new voice bank questions than they can fit into a live show format. So, in this bonus program, caller questions will be served up and answered with brief but helpful responses from Steve or Justin. Please tell your friends about Invest Talk and remember that the Anytime Listener lines never close. 888 99Chart. Hello, and thank you for downloading this Invest Talk podcast. I'm Steve Peasley, and we've been tracking our podcast download numbers. They have increased month over month. This is very good, but as you can imagine, more listeners result in more live show callers and also a greater number of voice bank questions. So we are dedicating this show to your pre-recorded caller questions, the calls that came in earlier on 888-99-CHART. And I will provide as many answers as possible in this bonus podcast. In this podcast, we will concentrate on finance and investment questions, not stocks. So let's get started. Good afternoon. This is Rob calling from Las Vegas, Nevada. With the passing of this uh, Biden administration's uh, ridiculous uh, stimulus bill, I have a general sense, and I've been speaking to a number of people who also agree that our inflation is is going to start to creep up probably within the next uh, year to two years and in the foreseeable future. What are some areas besides maybe TIPS, the Treasury and Protected Securities, that you are looking at? What sectors and industries are you uh, looking at to maybe combat uh, the rise of of inflation in the near future? Thanks. Have a great day. Bye-bye. First of all, TIPS are Treasury inflation-protected treasuries, okay? So, yeah, that will be an area that would benefit from inflation, but also commodities, commodities of all sorts, will probably benefit from inflation. The prices will rise. They'll be able to stay ahead of it. And corporation or corporate earnings rise faster than inflation. That's why the stock market usually doesn't go down in inflationary times. So um, I do like materials. I do like industrials, big blue chip kind of stocks. Their earnings should do well. Let's keep moving. Our next question comes from Oklahoma. Hello, Stephen Justin. This is Andrew from Stillwater, Oklahoma, and I'm 23 years old. I'm a relatively new investor. Right now, I use Robinhood. I'm not really too happy with it. I'm looking to open up a Roth IRA with TD Ameritrade, and I was calling to ask, what do you guys think a new investor should invest in as far as mutual funds or ETFs or individual stocks? And also, do you have a specific brokerage that you guys recommend for new investors? And and what advice do you have for new investors? Thank you very much, and God bless. We use TD Ameritrade, the one you are planning on going to. We use TD Ameritrade because they have very good technology. And, you know, recently Schwab purchased TD Ameritrade, so eventually all TD Ameritrade accounts will become Schwab accounts. And for new investors, I suggest ETFs. ETFs, exchange-traded funds, rather than mutual funds and individual stocks. Until you get a decent-sized portfolio and you understand how stocks move, how to analyze them, looking at the fundamentals, I would stay with ETFs. That's generally the best way to go for new investors. Next up, we go to the West Coast for a caller question that came in earlier from California. This is Robert from Milbury. I'm just trying to figure out the concept of price-to-sales. Um, I'm seeing companies like Coupa Software, C-O-U-P, that has a high price of sales. I think it's like 35 or 40 times sales at the time. But trying to understand how does that impact the company and how do I learn more about what's a good measurement it should try to be in its space? Thank you. Price of sales, it's like price to earnings, P-E ratio. You got the P-S ratio. So it's nothing more than a relationship between how much sales per share price is the company having? And the problem with this particular metric is that you have to understand the industry's average price to sales, just like price to earnings. So how, which one's good? How much is good? Well, it's hard to answer that question because it depends on what industry you're talking about. You have to learn uh, which is a good price to sales numbers for the various industries. Price to sales numbers for a tech stock is very different than a U.S. steel company 
or a steel company, no matter. They'll have a low price of sales where the tech cop stock will have a very high price of sales. So it just takes education, takes time, but there is no one answer to that question. Well, here comes a question we get from time to time, but we're always adding new listeners, so it's good to repeat it. Hello, Stephen Justin. Thank you so much for sharing all the information you guys do, and thank you for making it entertaining. My question was regarding the utility stocks. Obviously, they're a little out of favor because the interest rate's going up. When would be a good time to add a utility stock to the portfolio? I'm thinking uh, with the EV push, we're going to need more electricity, so there's potential for growth in some utility stocks in the future. Thank you so much for your answer, and thank you again for the great show. Okay, just remember, utilities are very highly regulated by the various states. I mean, California hasn't allowed a new utility to be built from wherever unless it's uh, solar or wind. So, And that's not going to cut it when we get all these EV electric vehicles on the roadway. But the best time to buy utility stocks, the best time is as we're going into a recession. They seem to hold up very well for reception because... They pay that dividend. They're very consistent on paying the dividend. So that's probably the best time. You know, there's a relationship between the economic cycle and the stock market cycle. And during the economic cycle, you need to recognize where you are in that cycle. And then there's various types of sector of stocks to do well in the different parts of the economic cycle. So that's what I would suggest you to take a look at. This is an Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour podcast. Next, we go to Salt Lake City. Hey, Stephen, Justin, big fan of the show, uh, kind of a newer investor here down in Salt Lake City. I uh, just had a quick question on where you actually do your research. Um, haven't really found a reliable place to find info like beta um, trailing PE averages over a long period of time, things like that. If you could shed some light on where you actually get your info, that would be a huge help to me and hopefully some others. Thanks again. Love the show, you guys. Certainly, we get we buy lots of data. Okay, we buy it, uh, and it costs lots of money every month to, to have this data. But a reasonably priced place you can get is MarketSmith.com. It's part of Investors Business Daily mag, uh, newspaper. It's called MarketSmith.com. It gives you a really good platform. We also like Y charts, but Y charts is a bit more expensive. But Y charts gives you every type of Fundamental analysis, not only on stocks, but on currencies, on economies. It's just tremendous. So, uh, again, MarcusSmith.com, which is part of Investors Business Daily, and uh, White Charges are two main sources that we like. It's the age-old question, growth versus value. Here comes our caller. Then I will give you my answer. Hey guys, this is Drew down in Utah. Um, had a question regarding growth versus value. Uh, my current portfolio is very heavy on growth, specifically tech stocks. It seems clear that the transition into value is just starting, already underway. Now I only contribute a certain amount per month and I wanna start getting into those value stocks and I don't necessarily want to sell my growth stocks. I was curious how you would go about getting into that sort of industry without having to sell my growth stocks when I only have a limited amount of cash per month. What kind of strategy you would deploy there? Appreciate the help. You guys are awesome, and I always learn a lot. Thank you. Well, there's two things you can do. One would be all new money every month goes into value stocks and no more new money into the growth stocks. Or, and or, you could trim back the growth stocks. You don't have to sell them outright. You could just trim them back Use that trimmed money, invest that in the value side of the market. You can do one or the other or a combination of both. That would make the most sense. I'm moving at a fast pace because this is a special Invest Talk rapid fire hour. Next up, a caller question from the East Coast. Hey, Justin and Steve. This is Dylan from Brooklyn. Love the show. I have a quick question for you guys. Not about a specific stock, but I've been opening up some positions since about fourth quarter of 2020 and early this year that you guys would definitely consider falling into the story slash tech category. About 10 of the 30 stocks that I own are now down about 30%. I was wondering what you guys think I should do here. Should I make a plan, an escape plan to get out and 
lighten my positions on bump days, or should I just hold these if I don't really need the money? Looking forward to your answer. Talk to you later. Get out. Don't hold them. You should only have one, maybe two of those stocks that make no money that have a good story. One or two, and 3% of your portfolio each, very small. Because most of those story stocks go out of business. It's common. You've lost 30% or more. Yeah, be happy you haven't lost more. Okay, 50, 70%, very common. So get out of them. Those are not good, solid investments. Remember, buy companies that make money. That's the rule. As you know, we get caller questions from all 50 states. Here comes one from Wisconsin. Hey, guys. Gus from Wisconsin here. Thanks for the show. Learning a lot. Appreciate it. I was just curious, how long do you leave an underperformer in your portfolio? I've got a couple of picks that didn't do as well as I thought they would have. And I'm looking at three months now or so that they've been sitting 2 3% loss. And I, I just feel like I need to get rid of those and maybe put that money to work in another stack. But part of me doesn't want to take the loss. So I, I guess the question is, how, how long do you leave those underperformers sit before you uh, weed them out of your portfolio? Thanks, guys. Bye. Of course, that's a very difficult question. Because <laughs> I remember waiting two years on Apple stock and doing nothing. But I still held it. So it's a difficult question. First thing you got to ask yourself is, why did I buy this stock? What was the reason I bought this stock? If those reasons are still in place and those reasons are good, solid, fundamental reasons, you keep holding it. If those reasons are not in place or if those reasons were just, you know, because you so- it sounded good, you got a good story, then you get out. You waited long enough. But again, if it's a solid company making solid earnings, growing its earnings, staying on the cutting edge of technology or has a advantage of some way and the stock just isn't moving, you stay with it until it does move. Just stay with it. Okay? Justin and I get a few real estate questions. Let's listen to this one now. Hey, this is Duncan from New York. Like any other investor right now, obviously I've been losing a lot of money in the stock market. I was doing so well, but then lost it. I took your advice. I had to review my portfolio. I sold everything. I just kept my profits, and I'm going to start from square one again. My question to you is this. I am looking to invest in some property with the money that I made, and I am just wondering what else could I do with my money? Should I put it in certain ETFs or should I put it in a CD? I'm looking to buy property within the next three to six months. I'm looking forward to the answer on the podcast and you guys definitely helped me save myself from losing a lot more money. So thank you very much and have a good day. Bye. So if you have money set aside for real estate investment, physical real estate that you want to buy, and you want to do that within a certain period of time, if it's within a couple of years, Don't invest that money in the stock market. So you said three to six months. Don't risk that money in the stock market. No one knows what the market will do in three to six months. And if it's real estate money, that's what that's geared for. You leave it as real estate money and don't risk it. Okay? Stand by. Our next question will be about saving for college. You are listening to a special Invest Talk bonus program. The Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour. Caller questions are being answered with brief but unbiased and helpful responses from Steve or Justin. Hi, Steve. My name is Chris. I'm calling from Long Island, New York. I have a newborn child, and of course, I want to open up a Roth RRA for her or a 529 for college. I want to know what's the best route to go for her, either if she does go to college or she could just use it or just add on to the account for future purposes. All right, so any accounts, any help, as far as where you can steer me would be great. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Okay, well, if you open up a 529, that's for college education, accredited college education only. She can't save it for other purposes. It can't be spent for other purposes. So be aware of that. Uh, uh, Roth, uh, she has to have some earned income, and she, of course, doesn't have that as an infant. But you could open up a what's called an UTMA, a Uniform Gift to Minors Act account, 
where you could put money in there, and it's her money when she turns certain age, 18, depending on what state you're in, uh, it, it becomes her money, okay? And she it's, you invested for her up until that age or until the age you decide as a parent that she could see it, but legally she gets it when she's no longer a minor. But that might be a way to go unless you're super convinced she's going to a college and an accredited college at that. Then the 529 program would probably be best. As investors, we must all be aware of tax liabilities. So let's listen to this caller question. Hey, Steve and Justin. Uh, Sean here from Minneapolis. I recently moved to L.A. I'm 35 years old, first-time caller, new to investing. I really wish I was listening to your show before I started investing. I started investing about last April and got lucky early on. I'm up about 57% in my overall portfolio which brings me at around like $18,000. And I was just wondering, now that I'm starting to do more research and taking cues from your show, I'm curious to know what are the pros and cons if I were to take all my money off the table and use it to reinvest when I've done more due diligence and researching the companies. And since all my stocks are under a year, how would that affect my taxes? And since I'm also such a new investor, open to taking risks in the next three to five years, well, what might you recommend as an approach in investing about five or $15,000? Uh, how many different stocks should I look at owning in my portfolios and what sectors should I be considering? Um, again, thank you guys for all you're doing. Truly grateful for the education you provide. Um, I've been sharing the podcast with a lot of people. A big shout-out to my friend Hernando for sending me the cast in the first place. I look forward to hearing your response on the next show. Thanks. Okay. Just remember, you started investing in April of last year. That was right near the bottom of the market. And at the bottom of a recession is the best time to invest in stock market. So you benefited greatly from that. But now it's going to be a little bit more difficult. If you're new to investing, you don't really know how to research stocks, the best thing you could do is go into ETFs, exchange-traded funds. And no, I would not take all my money out and put it, and put it somewhere else, you know, a different sector or stocks or whatever, or hold it. I would leave it invested. Okay, that's what I would do. Um, and tax purposes, any stock that you take profits on 12 months or less – You'll have to pay capital gains on, if you have capital gains, at your ordinary income tax rate. Any profits you make on stocks at 12 months or longer, it's taxed at the 20% mark capital gains rate. Okay, so stay with the market. You know, too many people try to time in and out. That does not work. Never has worked. So we're moving pretty fast, everybody, trying to get to, the, to as many questions as possible. Here comes a question on income. Hi, Stephen Justin. Uh, thanks for all your podcasts. They're really helpful. I just had a quick question around why the net income at the bottom of the income statement is not always the same as the net income at the top of the cash flow statement. Um, I know it can be different. I just don't understand why. So any help would be great. Thanks. Well, you got EBITDA, earnings before tax, depreciation, all kinds of things, okay? And that's the income that you're seeing at the top, after all taxes and depreciation and all those things are taken consideration, is the bottom line to end up with is at the bottom, usually. So it's it's earnings before tax, depreciation, amortization, you know, it's called EBITDA, before and after that. That's what those two numbers are representing. At least that's the most likely explanation. Next up, we transition to Maine for this caller question. Hello, Andrew from Maine. Love the show. Question for you about hyperinflation. Been listening to a story about hyperinflation in Lebanon and thinking about here in the States, don't think we'll get to the hyperinflation, but thinking about good stores of value in inflationary periods and would appreciate your comments on that. Thanks. Okay, yeah. In an inflationary period, stores of value is the first thing that comes to mind is precious metals. There's always good value. They hold value. When you have inflation, that means a dollar is getting weaker and weaker and weaker. 
because it's being inflated. And therefore, and gold will go up in price because more dollars will be required to buy the gold or silver. Other inflation hedges, if it's just normal inflation or normal increasing inflation, you know, stock market has always been able to stay ahead of it. Those are also a good place to be. And of course, now we're talking about where in the stock market, what sectors? And that's always a difficult question. Many times, Invest Talk listeners call with questions about ETFs. Let's listen to this one. Hi, my question is about ETFs and the holdings within the ETFs. Are they permanent? For example, if you look at, let's say, an ARC ETF, if you look at Tesla, let's say, uh, this is just an example, if they start failing and not doing well, will it be replaced with another stock? So the question is about the holdings. Are they permanent uh, or can they be adjusted and changed? Thanks so much. Now, of course, it always goes to the exchange-traded fund and what it's tracking. If it's tracking an index, like the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, the Russell 2000, whatever, then the holdings will be permanent as to that index. But remember, index changes almost quite frequently. Okay, so stocks in the S&P 500, a couple leave every year and a couple new ones come in. Now, if the ETF is in a sector index... And it says, okay, we hold, the the definition, the prospectus says, we hold large cap blue chip tech stocks. And they do no more definition than that. Yes, they can be changed at any time they want to. So it depends on the ETF, but the general answer to your question is yes. they, They can trade stocks out and in of ETFs depending on what it's tracking, what it says it will do. And that's what you have to concentrate. What does this ETF do? Here's another topic we often get a question on, 401Ks. Hi, my name is Joe. I live in Colorado. I had a question about a rollover. Um, I'm leaving my current employment, and I started a single-member LLC, and I wanted to roll over my 401A into potentially a solo 401K or a Roth IRA conversion. Just wondering what your take might be for a single-member LLC to roll over into one of those two options or if there's a better option out there. Thank you. Goodbye. Obviously, you can also roll that over into an IRA or a SEP IRA, okay? And, you know, this question is really should be asked of your CPA, what would be the best best place to do it? Open up an individual 401k at your job, at your place. Open up a SEP IRA, or roll that over into a regular IRA or a SEP IRA. Or should I transfer transition into a Roth IRA? And that would be well. How young are you? The younger you are, the better. I like the Roth idea. Okay, so there's no one clear answer, and you probably should ask your CPA to help you with that answer. Okay, for tax purposes. We seem to be getting more and more questions from young listeners. And that's, that's a great thing. This came in earlier from Michigan on 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Kendra from Michigan, and I'm new to the podcast. And I'm uh, 20 years old, new to the stock market, and just wondering if you had any recommendations for a long-term stock that I can invest into. And that's about for like 10, 20 years I'm planning on keeping my money in there. Do you have any advice? Please let me know. Thanks. Keep it up. Okay, well, probably not an individual stock because it's just one stock, and that makes it very risky, no matter how good the company is. If you're going to twist my arm and I had to answer that question, it would probably be, I'm going to go with Apple for 20 years. But I would rather see you buy an ETF, an exchange-traded fund, that holds a group of stocks so that you have a better diversification of that, of that money you want to invest so that's what be my suggestion. Buy an ETF of the NASDAQ or the S&P 500 or the, the Dow 30. You know, um, you can easily do that, and then you have a better diversified portfolio. Here comes the last question in the first segment of the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour. Hi, I'm relatively new to the show, but I have heard you guys mention what you value the stock price of a particular company and then compare it to what it currently is. My question is, what metrics do you use to determine what you think the fair trading value of a stock price is? Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Well, we have a lot of proprietary algorithms that we don't share with everybody, right? But 
when someone calls me up on the show, I implement different algorithms and come up with a value. Say so is Justin. And it depends on the sector because every sector is different valuations. Depends on what where we are in the economic cycle. And right now we're transitioning from growth to value. So it changes the valuation metrics. So really, I can't tell you a, a one method. I wish it was that easy. It's not. But it's a great question. I'm Steve Peasley, and I thank you for listening to this special Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour podcast. It's not over. We are going into a short break, after which Justin Klein will take over duty here at our answer desk. Please tell your friends about Invest Talk and our free podcasts. Stay with us. Justin is up next. Each hour of every day, Invest Talk listeners call the 24 7 Voice Bank to record their finance and investment questions. Is there any lesson for people who own stocks, even if they don't short a stock, that the stock they own, they should know whether it's been heavily shorted? The Invest Talk listener community is large and diverse. A steady stream of questions comes in from across America. Hi, this is Chris from New York. And around the world. My name is Vince, and I'm calling from Dubai. And why do they call? Because listeners know that Steve Peasley and Justin Klein have decades of investment experience and that they are committed to helping investors improve their financial future. How consistent will that dividend be? I would like your opinion on Kodak. I would take my losses and leave. And your podcast has helped me out a lot. Keep those calls and email messages coming in. But please, when you download at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, don't forget to rate and review. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats 
with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You are listening to a special Invest Talk bonus program, the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour. Caller questions are being answered with brief but unbiased and helpful responses from Steve or Justin. Hello, I'm Justin Klein, and I welcome you to a special Invest Talk Rapid Fire podcast. During the course of almost every week, we receive more caller questions than we can possibly answer during our live stream and radio broadcast programs. So to thank our listeners for investing the time to call, we plan these special podcasts in order to play catch-up with backlog questions. I'm going to be moving at a faster pace, but you'll still hear my honest and thoughtful answers. On this podcast, we will operate with the mission statement, independent thinking and shared success. This is your assurance that no matter what we talk about, market reports, process explanations, or stock commentary, we will present it all without bias. We give you the facts as we see them. So let's get started now. Hey guys, from Alaska. I've been listening to the show for about six months now. It's been great. My question is, I'm in my mid-30s, approaching about a half million in my 401k and Roth IRAs. Is there any point to owning bonds at my age and where I'm at and not necessarily needing the money anytime soon. Okay, thanks. I'll listen for it on the podcast. Well, I never want anyone to rule out the possibility of any type of asset class. Just like you don't want to get married to, oh, I only want to own equities or real estate or just bonds. It's important to know that anytime Various asset classes can be good or bad risk versus reward propositions. Now, with your age and where bond yields are today, owning something like treasury bonds, not typically a great idea because they'll yield potential losses from rises in interest rates, etc. But what other type of bonds are out there? Maybe corporate bonds, emerging market bonds. Those can offer four, five, six, seven percent yield sometimes and can be better risk versus rewards. And it gives you more diversity. And if you are looking for maybe more consistent returns, those will provide it. Equities can be very volatile. It can be up 20, 30 percent in a year. They can also be down 20 or 30 percent in a year. But if you don't need it for a while, I don't think this is a great time to be getting into bonds. So I would not have a large allocation, but having, like I said, a small allocation to some of the riskier bonds out there, the higher yielding bonds, not a bad idea. Thanks for the call. Now the InvestTalk listener line never closes. And this one came in earlier on 888 chart. Hey, Stephen Justin. I've seen a lot of headlines about how gold is sinking. That means a buy point's coming up, right? Thanks. The short answer is, yeah, I do think we are into some major support here on gold. And we've seen a bounce over the past couple of weeks or so, especially in the gold miners. And they typically lead the price of gold. And to me, that is an indication here that gold is likely to take off in the short term. Doesn't mean you have to do it right away. But after this pullback, and very controlled pullback, there wasn't giant sell-offs. It was kind of shaking out the weak hands in the space since the summer of last year, about August time frame. And that's when rates started to rise. And I think while rates will probably continue to rise, gold is now rising in the face of those rising rates, which tells me that maybe we're getting closer to the end of this recent rate rise move. Doesn't mean we can't go to 2% in the 10-year, but... Gold is acting well in the face of continuing to see a ramp up in higher rates. And that means inflation expectations are rising. And you're seeing the, you're going to see the headline inflation probably top 3% in the next few months because of kind of base effects, although that will moderate later in the year. And all of this tends to be good for the gold price. And it's acting fairly well. And it needed to because it was at some major support. And it's reacted well to it. Doesn't mean it has to break out. Doesn't mean it can't break that support and roll back over. 
But from a risk-reward perspective, I like it in this area. Now let's pivot to a housing question from Pittsburgh. Hey guys, it's Adam from Pittsburgh. Love the show. I plan on buying a house this fall once my lease is up, and I was wondering what investment strategies you'd recommend for that time frame in the current economy. Thanks for your help. I appreciate it. Well, it sounds like this is more of for your personal residence than an investment. And a lot of people get those two things confused. They think that their home that they live in is an investment. And it's not. It is a utility. You are using that home to live in. And at the end of the day, you need to be happy in that home. And if it goes up in value, fantastic. And should you consider the long-term price trajectory in that equation of buying a home? Sure. But it definitely should not be at the top of your list. It should be a lifestyle choice. It should be a budgetary choice. Can you afford that home longer term based on your income level and volatility of your income? You know, some people have consistent steady jobs. Some are self-employed and have volatile uh, income levels from year to year, month to month. All that needs to come to consideration before the investment side. Investment is just a plus. If it goes up, typically it goes up with the price, uh, the, the, the rate of inflation. Why? Because incomes typically go up with the, with the rate of inflation. What pays for mortgages and rents? Incomes. So don't think of your primary residence as an investment. It's a utility. Now here's a listener question we get almost every week. It concerns REITs and it came in earlier on 88899 chart. Hey guys, this is Dan from Seattle. I just had a quick question. I own uh, some rental property and I'm about fed up with it and I don't think it's for me. And so I was wondering what your opinion of is if I sold my properties and bought like $50,000 worth of REITs, if I took the profits off of some of these properties, is that a good way to play real estate? Am, Am I too much risk? Would I be better off just playing it in the market? And what's your opinion on owning large amounts of REITs just for the diversification from the stock market? So any thoughts in these crazy times would be appreciated. Thank you. I love this question because this is what I talk to people about all the time. There's a lot of incentives from real estate brokers, mortgage brokers, the entire real estate industry for people to get in and own real estate, individual real estate properties. And that can be fine. It can be a good part of a diversified asset base that you have. But there are a lot of headaches, and it sounds like you're seeing those. Being a landlord is not the easiest thing in the world, especially if you run into a bad tenant, especially if you run into COVID where you know there's rent deferrals, things like that. And you have to work. You get a call late night. Even if you have a property manager, you have to deal with them and approve things, and it's not always the easiest thing. But if you invest in a REIT, a real estate investment trust, you can get four, five, six percent yield, similar to what you're getting from a rental property, with no headache. Right? You have professionals managing the portfolio, and you're more broadly diversified. Typically, hundreds, if not thousands, of different properties and income streams. Whereas if you own one or two or three properties, you're not very diversified if you think about it compared to a REIT. And a REIT, you can diversify among different types of REITs, from office REITs to retail REITs to housing REITs to uh, industrial REITs. There's a lot of different types of REITs that are out there. So I think absolutely it makes sense to take that if you are sick of being a landlord, going and build and building a diversified portfolio of REITs that give you similar income to your investment properties. So great question, I love it, and I think more people should consider that if being a landlord is not really for them. Some, for some people it is, some people it's not. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. We take your questions 24-7 on 888-99-CHART. Hi, um, just a quick question for you guys. My name's Anthony, I'm from Akron, Ohio. I'm fairly new into the investment game. I don't really understand very much of it so far. I'm only 28 years old right now, so I want to invest and have the good money for for retirement, so I have plenty of time. I just want to know what types of stocks are the best types of stocks into investing into and how I can set myself up for 
into the future. Thank you very much for your information. Anything's appreciated. Well, that's a loaded question. There's a lot of different type of stocks that are out there, companies that you can invest in, from high growth names to your big blue chip dividend payers to small cap kind of value, industrial names, etc. You're a new investor, and your number one job is to learn. Excuse me, that's your number two job. Your number one job is to save. If you want to have a good retirement, saving is most important. So creating a consistent saving vehicle, whether that's a 401k, whether that's consistent contributions to your IRA, for example, or consistent contributions to a regular brokerage account. Whatever it is, start with that. Second, start to learn. Read. We have, we have a book uh, section on our site. Great number of resources there. But continue to soak up information. And if you're going to invest, you know, buy companies you use, that you know. Think of the apples of the world. Or uh, if you eat at a particular restaurant or uh, brands that you like to buy. Those are all good ways to start investing in the individual stock world. And commissions are free. And like I said, head over to investtalk.com, look at the book section, and start to read. And soak up information. That's what all new investors should do. And I know it seems fun, and it seems easy with Robinhood and all these different apps to just jump in. But be patient, start saving, and learn most of all. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Next up, an important topic, emergency funds. Let's play the question, and I will give you my answer. Hey, Steve or Justin. This is Joe calling from Greenville, South Carolina. I have a question. It's a bit of a personal finance question for you guys. I have built up a emergency fund of about $10,000, which would roughly cover my monthly expenses for about five months where I live. But I did not max my Roth IRA for 2020. And with the tax deadline coming up, I probably need to put 5000 to max it out for 2020. I unfortunately didn't save a lot that year. And I'm just wondering if you think that I should take that emergency fund, 5000 of it, and put it into the Roth for 2020 before the deadline, or if you think it's better served to stay in the emergency fund and kind of sacrifice being able to put in for last year and just focus on this year. Uh, any advice you have would be greatly appreciated, and I'll listen for the answer on the show. Thanks, guys. I would say the answer is yes, and the simple reason is you can take your contributions to your Roth out whenever you want, penalty-free. Contributions, not the growth. So if you ever need to tap that money, you still can't. But you can't, after the deadline, contribute to that Roth for 2020. And while $10,000 in emergency savings will come down to five, it's still about two and a half months of expenses. And typically the rule of thumb is three to six months. So you're not far off from that three and you can build that up over the next uh, few months. So absolutely, I would contribute to that Roth. If you're eligible, make sure from an income level perspective you are, something you want to talk with your CPA about, but I would definitely make that contribution. Great question. I'm Justin Klein and I welcome you to a special Invest Talk Rapid Fire podcast. In this podcast, I'm taking caller questions at a faster pace in order to cover more ground. These questions came in earlier on our Anytime Listener Line. It never closes. 888-99-CHART. Hi, it's Matt from South Florida calling. Interested in getting your take on capitalizing on the reopening travel trade, whether it be more in hotels or cruises. Obviously, Royal Caribbean and Carnival are the two main players on the cruise front, and Hyatt, Hilton, and Marriott on the hotel front. was thinking and maybe going for the hotels first, as they would have a little bit more of a recovery Q1, whereas cruises need to wait a little bit. I guess between Marriott or Royal Caribbean, if you had to choose between one of those two or a couple of the others, would be interested in getting your take on which one at this stage presents the most value. Thank you. I would definitely say cruises over hotels. The fact that we are having a slowdown, permanent slowdown or permanent shift in business travel, that's going to permanently impair certain types of hotels. And no matter what 
hotel operator you're talking about, they have a certain subset of their hotels that are targeted towards business customers. And so during the week, especially, they're going to have a tough time. And that's not really the case with cruise lines, although they're going to be take a while to, I think, get back to where they were pre-pandemic, even with people vaccinated, right? Because you're going to have various vaccination rollouts throughout the world. What you didn't talk about, though, were airlines. And it, while it pains me to say this, airlines did a good job of managing through this. They got a bailout from the government. They got concessions from their unions. And so the cost structure has come down a bit. There's going to be an oversupply of airplanes. And so their ability to manage their fleet better, I think, is uh, going to lower their costs as well. So if I'm picking, I'm going cruise lines, airlines, and hotels definitely last. Next, a question from San Diego. And it raises a question about an age-old dilemma. Hey, Peasley, Joe here out in San Diego. I got a pretty general question for you. I got about as much invested in the market as I do in debt. I've been up on the market this year. I just got in in March at the low. However, I owe X amount on my car, X amount to the state, X amount to child support, and a little bit here and there. Now, would you suggest pulling my money out of the market, paying off my debt and being free and clear as I hear other so-called financial advisors say that being debt free should be first priority or do I leave the money in the market chip away at my debt love the show and just to let you know your intro music sounds like the theme music to the Halloween movies interesting well I I don't know if I've seen the Halloween movies in a long long time so I can't confirm nor deny that but when it comes to your question to me all debt is created equal Certainly anything that's high level of interest rate, 8, 9, 10% plus, it makes sense to pay that off and guarantee you that rate of return on your money. Remember, when you don't pay the interest because you paid off that debt, you are basically investing and guaranteeing yourself that level of return. Now with mortgages these days, around 3%, a lot of people have very low fixed rate mortgages. And so the amount you can earn in the markets is likely going to be better over the longer term. And so a mortgage is one of those ones where it's kind of iffy whether you pay that off or not. Whether you pay down debt in general, that's always a conservative stance. Being Having a, more, a less leveraged personal balance sheet, having a more secure cash flow situation because debts take cash flow to pay and maintain. So that's important as well. So I would say in this environment, you want to take down your exposure to equities if you can and pay down any relatively high earning or interest rate debt. Now here comes a question we seem to get a lot these days. It's about cryptocurrency. Hi, this is Adam from Texas. I recently got a call from my sister who said she got a recommendation from a client of hers who's an investor about purchasing what is called Hedera Hashgraph. It's a cryptocurrency. It's spelled H-E-D-E-R-A, Hashgraph, all one word. She said that it's better or that her client said that it was better than typical cryptocurrencies because it's more, quote unquote, so more energy friendly. I guess it takes much less energy to mine the the coins out. So it's actually sustainable for the long term. But I was wondering what you all thought about this, especially I know Justin mentioned before he has a small position in cryptocurrency. So I'm curious to hear what you have to say. I already told her it's probably a a high risk and very speculative, but I'm curious about it because Justin mentioned before that cryptocurrency is not sustainable because of the amount of energy that it does take to mine them, which is just increasing. Anyway, I love the show. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about this. And hopefully, I'll get my sister to listen to you guys in the near future, too. Thank you again. Bye. Well, thanks for the call. And he is asking, or she's asking, about Hedera Hashgraph. 
this is, from the chart perspective, starting to lose its momentum. Over the last year, it's up 866%. Over the last 30 days, it's up 136%. So it certainly has had recent price momentum, but it's down over the last 24 hours about 7%. You can see this large fluctuation uh, in the price of, of Hedera. And I do think that there are a lot of flaws and a lot of positives around the cryptocurrency space. And government cryptocurrencies are certainly coming. And this is my biggest, I think the biggest risk that I see in this space is that our government's really going to allow Bitcoin and all these other cryptocurrencies to usurp their power to print money and have control over the currency. I don't think so. Now, does that, do they assert their power this year or next year, the year after? I'm not sure, but it's extremely high risk. And from a chart perspective, Hedera and frankly, Bitcoin are starting to lose their momentum here. So I would pass on both. I do think later this year we're going to have a large, large pullback in the crypto space. And you really have to ask yourself, is it something you want to buy once again? Or is this going to be the end of the crypto mania? And we're going to start the continue the innovation. There's a lot of innovation around this space, and I think that will continue. But I think the price momentum will wane later this year. I'm Justin Klein, and I thank you for listening to the special Invest Talk Rapid Fire podcast. Steve Pease and I encourage you to tell your family and friends about our free Invest Talk podcasts. You can download them anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And as always, investtalk.com. And you can find a good deal of investing information at our website, investtalk.com. Before we go, you can see more about today's topic. Go to investtalk.com. You want to contact me directly? Easy. Leave a message in the machine or go to investtalk.com. I'm Money Manager Steve Peasley, and I want to thank you for listening.